sometimes it takes me a while to connect the dots. Years ago, I read a great book by Stu Friedman at the Wharton School, Total Leadership, and it was tremendously helpful to me. And to this day, it's my go-to recommendation to my executive coaching clients who are grappling with work and life and how to find the right balance. And they find the tools and exercise in the book equally helpful. So recently, when I was reading an article on MarketWatch on retirement, I was delighted to see Stu Friedman quoted. And suddenly I realized, wait a minute, these same tools, exercises, concepts, and practices could be really valuable to people who will be looking at crafting the right balance for their life in retirement. This is the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. And today we'll be talking with Stu Friedman to see if my instincts are right. How can these ideas help you in the balancing act in your life in retirement? Stu Friedman is the founder and CEO of Total Leadership. He's an organizational psychologist who was with the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania since 1984, and he's been an emeritus professor since 2019. He's the founder of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, and he's been recognized by the Thinkers 50 Global Ranking of Management Thinkers every cycle since 2011 and was honored with its 2015 Distinguished Achievement Award as the world's foremost expert in the field of talent. It's also listed among HR Magazine's most influential thought leaders, chosen by Working Mother as one of America's most influential men who have made life better for working parents and presented with the Families and Work Institute's Work-Life Legacy Award. He also spent two and a half years on leave from Wharton as the head of leadership development at Ford Motor Company. And he's written a number of meaningful books, including two bestsellers, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life, and Leading the Life You Want, Skills for Integrating Work and Life. Stu Friedman joins us today from suburban Philadelphia. Stu, thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. So what do you think the foundation of a good retirement is? Well, I guess the most important foundation is having arrived, you know, at the point where you are uh, still still breathing in beautiful air and able to walk on this incredible earth and and think about what you really care about and devote yourself as much as you can to those things. So many people today are keeping work in some form or fashion as part of their life, their new life in retirement. And your total leadership model, I think, could be very helpful to people in creating the balance in life that they're looking for and envisioning. And I know this is an unfair question, asking someone to summarize a book and, and lengthy talks on this topic, but could you give us a brief overview of the total leadership model? Well, I appreciate your asking, Joe. Uh, total leadership is the name I gave to an approach to leadership from the point of view of the whole person. And this model was created by me and my remarkable colleagues when I was at Ford Motor Company. I was the head of leadership development worldwide for Ford Motor between 1999 and 2001. And prior to that, I had done research, teaching, practice on both leadership development, how you grow leadership capacity over the course of your life, and how to integrate work and the rest of life. I was sort of operating on those two tracks independently. And as it was becoming clearer through my work that these were pieces of the same uh, puzzle, I was able 
at at Ford in response to a real demand that the company faced at the time to have people focus not only on what was happening inside the company, but uh, to take in the world and to use their awareness, their consciousness of what was happening in the world as part of their work. All of that combined to create the conditions for me to develop and to test and prototype and iterate on a model that addressed work and home or family and community or society and yourself, your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. So based on research that we'd been doing throughout the 90s, starting in the late 80s, really, on what does it take for people to integrate the different parts of their lives for mutual gain? We developed this model that has three essential principles. The first is to be real, to act with authenticity by clarifying what's most important to you. And that is, of course, your values and your vision of what a better tomorrow looks like. To be whole, which is to act with integrity, whole, one, by recognizing and respecting the different parts of life, that you're not just operating in one sphere, but multiple spheres. And of course, it's different for, for everyone what those spheres look like. But we have found that work, home, community, and self, that those four covers pretty much everything. And the third principle, to be innovative, to be continually experimenting with how things get done, to act with creativity. So these were the three principles that we found when we went into the field and looked for people who were good at integrating the different parts of their lives for mutual gain, for, for leading the lives that they wanted. And so in the course of our work at Ford, we created a method for helping people to learn these principles and to bring them into their real lives by identifying their values through, first of all, recounting their history, uh, the critical episodes in the life history that have shaped their values and beliefs by talking about people that they admire and what it is that they admire about them. By looking at the four domains, as I call them, work, home, community, and self, and seeing which ones are most important and where do I devote my attention? And what is the impact of the gap between what's important and where I devote my attention on my well-being in each of the domains and my performance in each of the domains? And identifying then, uh, finally, a vision, a picture of a better tomorrow, a compelling image of an achievable future. So all that work happens at the start. That's the foundation. Then we ask people to think about what it means to be whole by identifying the most important people in their lives, at work, at home, in the community, and to Think about these critical stakeholders, people who have a stake in their future. Why are they important? What do we expect of each other? How are we doing in meeting those expectations? And to look at that, what we call a stakeholder analysis, by looking at your most important people and thinking through where are the pushes and pulls? Where is the conflict among those stakeholders? Where's their compatibility? Where are the, the spaces that define what people want from me and what I want from them that are all aligned? How is what my mother wants and expects of me 
consistent with or compatible with what my clients, my students want of me, my friends, you know, the people in my the political and social and religious groups that I'm a part of. So looking for that alignment, finding that common ground, that's what happens there in that part of the process of learning to lead from the point of view of your whole life, you then prepare for and undertake dialogues with those critical people, or at least a subset of them, and at least a few in each of the different domains to really bring to life this notion of how the different pieces fit and where they don't and what ideas you can generate for how to make them more compatible, greater harmony. So people undertake conversations, dialogues with these people. And that's, of course, a critical leadership skill, how to connect with people through conversation and and figure out how to make it easy for them to tell you what they need to tell you, the truth about what they see when they look to you. All of this leads to the next phase of this training, which is to act with creativity by experimenting. So people come up with ideas for real-world experiments toward what I call four-way wins. What can you do? What steps can you take within your scope? doesn't have to be huge. In fact, smaller is better because it's more likely to be doable that you believe is going to have a positive impact on your work, your home, your community, and for you personally. And people worldwide have been doing this, hundreds of thousands of them, coming up with ideas for innovation that they then try in the laboratory of their real lives. And there's all kinds of uh, experiments that people try. Nine different types are what we identified in the early research on, on this. When you say to people, go out and do something that's going to have a positive impact on all the different parts of your life. People come up with all kinds of wonderful creative ideas, but we identified nine different sort of proto archetypes for the things that people do. And then they try them and they gather data on what works and what doesn't after creating a simple action plan and a scorecard. And then they learn from these experiments what it takes to create change that's really sustainable because it works not just for you, not just for your family, not just for your community, not just for your professional life, but for all of those different parts. And that's the essence of the, you know, the basic training. And what we found is that, not surprisingly, when people undergo this kind of education and training in the real world of their real lives, they feel better physically, emotionally, and they perform better while shifting some of their attention away from work, typically, toward the other domains and performing better at work and in the other domains because they're more focused, uh, they're less distracted, and they bring more of themselves to what they do. So that's probably more than you wanted to hear about this, Joe, but that's kind of in uh, the smallest nutshell I could figure out <laughs> to explain the process and how it works. I appreciate it. And I know with the four domains, some people listening might think, well, I've only got three of the four, but I would argue when people retire, they still have all four. Because it depends on how you define work. It could be unpaid work, could be projects, could, there's something you're doing in that space, although it's redefined. Now, I'm curious, how would you recommend someone who is thinking about retiring use those four circles as you refer to them in the book, the four domains? That's a really important consideration for people who are in the latter stages of their lives. I believe that these different domains are part of our lives, really from 
from the time that we become sentient adults, you know, where even in our adolescent years, we've done this work with teenagers as well as with retirees and everything in between. And of course, the meaning of your, your work life is different, you know, if you're 16 versus if you're 86. But that's still a part of, or can be a part of how you think about who you are in the world. How much attention you devote to that aspect of your life, how it figures into affecting the other parts of your life, that is a constantly shifting dynamic. And part of what people learn from our program is to be thinking about how those shifts are occurring in their lives periodically, taking time to reflect on that, working with other people who are doing the same thing at the same time to teach them and to learn from them in peer-to-peer coaching exchanges. But for retirees specifically, people you know, in the latter stages of their work lives, it's important to capture what has been of greatest value and gratification to you as you think about your experiences, your, your skills, and, and the ones that you want to keep practicing. Most of the people that I encounter who are in their, you know, the later stages of their vital lives are still active in some form or other. It might be less about generating wealth or material gain for yourself or your family and more about using what you've learned to help other people to grow, the younger people coming after you that you want to try to support, whether in your family or beyond. So I think, you know, the meaning of what you've done with your work and career, your professional life, uh, your working life, it changes, but it's still a part of you, even if it's less a part of what you do every day, as you have to spend more time taking care of yourself to remain healthy enough and strong enough to be available to the people who still count on you and who you want to be interacting with. So I I think the key here is to be actively reflecting on, well, what, what do I know that I want to share with other people? Where can I continue to bring value with what I've learned throughout my career to be making a positive difference in the world and to, to enrich, you know, the legacy that I'm creating with, with my life every day. Mary mentioned the nine archetypes of four-way wins. I'm curious if there's an example or two of oh, what yeah. you've seen in the people that, especially the ones who you've worked with who are in retirement or coming up in retirement, any examples you'd share of four-way wins? Well, so a four-way win is any action or bundle of actions that, that you believe is going to have a positive impact on all the different parts of your life, however you define those different parts. And Joe, the way you define work home, community, and self is probably different than the way that I do because we're different. Everyone's different. And that's another part of the sort of foundation of this approach to leadership is that everyone's on a different path in trying to bring others along with them to realize their vision of a better tomorrow. So everyone's different in that respect, but we're all pursuing something better. So for the different kinds of experiments that people do, the most popular by far is the one we call restoring and rejuvenating, where you're doing something 
to take care of yourself in a way that you believe will have an indirect positive impact on the other parts. So when we talk about four-way wins, it's not about doing all, engaging in all four domains of action at one time to be on a, uh, on a call with a colleague and playing with your grandchildren and your friends at, while you're playing your guitar at the same time. Like if I were doing that right now, all those things, in addition to simply talking with you, Joe, it would be chaotic and not very helpful to you and anyone who might want to tune in to that. It would just be a jumble of noise. So integrating or creating harmony among the different domains isn't necessarily merging them. Sometimes, in fact, the best way to manage the different parts of life and how to bring them together is to separate them very well. So it's all about how you think creatively about boundaries that work for you and the people around you. So the most common type of experiment is the one where people realize, especially from thinking about their values, their vision, and their stakeholder dialogues, where they typically hear from people around them, hey, I want you to be healthy and strong and be able to love me and care for me and be a part of my life, or to support me in the work that I'm doing, or to support us in the community work that we're doing together, whatever it is, you need to care for yourself, which is a big problem for many of the people that I encounter, probably you too, they don't take enough good care for themselves. And what I've argued for a long time, and especially from the evidence that we've seen, is that it's not selfish to take care of yourself if what you're doing is to take care of yourself so you can be of greater service and value to, to other people who count on you. So I think that's probably the most, not just common, but really important one for senior people to take into account. And of course, the older you get, the more effort it takes to take care of yourself because you just don't have the strength that you used to have. You know, that's just what happens to our organisms, right? So that's a really big one. Another one is to be revealing and engaging. So, so some people realize once they've articulated their vision of the future and the way we do that, real simple exercise that is really powerful. It's is to simply imagine a day in the future. And usually we choose 15 years out, which for retirees is pretty scary, or it can be. But it's a useful marker because it's too far out to plan, but it's far enough that you could sort of see it. So just imagine an ideal day 15 years from now. What are you doing on that day? Morning, afternoon, evening, with whom and why? With what impact you expect to be having? When people do that, very often, even elderly people, they realize, wow, that that is the day I want to be living. Maybe I should take some steps to make that the day I'm living right now. So you know, part of the purpose of, of articulating your vision of an ideal future is to inspire you and then others to be making that more of your life presently. So the revealing and engaging ex- kinds of experiments involve people taking that leadership vision and sharing it with other people and asking them to do the same. Or I mentioned earlier about how people uncover their values powerfully by looking at their own life histories and identifying the episodes in their histories, even going back to childhood that have shaped their values. 
to bring those stories and to practice doing so, but to bring them into the real world of real relationships and ask others to do the same. And especially as you get to be older and you've got more people coming after you, if you're lucky, who want to talk to you, to be able to articulate what you know and to encourage them to do the same in a way that makes things better for you, your family, your community, and how you think about your work life. That's another popular and often very enjoyable uh, kind of experiment that people do. There are others that involve delegating, giving up some of the things that you're doing now and having others do them to help them develop and free you up to do more things that matter most to you. There are others that involve appreciating and caring for other people in ways that you have, and perhaps by doing more service work that not only enriches you spiritually, but also might help your family and whatever it is that you presently have as your you know skills you've developed and want to continue to practice from your working life. So those are some examples of four-way wins that people pursue. You mentioned stakeholder dialogues before. And when I first read your book this many years ago, I practiced that. And certainly other clients who, executive coach clients who have recommended the book to have as well. And, and that is so powerful. Not news to you. What advice do you have from people for people on how to have those stakeholder dialogues? I'm so glad you asked, and I'm really glad to hear that that's been helpful. You know, what I did in, in making that really the heart and soul of the book, because it's all about enriching relationships and strengthening trust and support, mutual support that you have with people that you've identified as, as most important to you. I think the keys to make those successful, you know, towards those goals of building trust, gaining support, bringing people closer to you, investing more in the relationships that matter most, because at the end of our lives, that is what we care most about. And there's lots of research, I'm sure you're familiar with it, that shows that what what matters at the end, I mean, at the very end, hospice workers have been studied, you know, what do people talk about as they're dying? They don't generally talk about their material wealth and, you know, career achievements. What they talk about is love, (laughs) lost and won, and relationships, you know, that matter most in whatever sphere of life. So the dialogues, uh, I think it's where they're the most challenging aspect of this approach to leadership. And the most rewarding, because what typically happens is that we we train people and help them to first identify what they think is most important to the people around them. So here's what I think is most important to you. And then I will, if I were having a dialogue with you, I would start by saying, Joe, you're one of the more important people to me in my life, and here's why. So I'd like to spend some time now, soon, talking with you about what we can do to strengthen our connection and enrich that. Now, it might turn out that you would say to me, well, Stu, I don't feel the same way, so no, I don't have time. And that would be painful for me. Believe me, I've, I've heard that <laughs> during the course of my 71 years. And it, it hurts, you know? I've cried about that. But that's the way things are sometimes. But I would suggest 
And this is what people are most afraid of, that they're going to hear things that are going to hurt them. But as a leader, you've got to deal with reality. Most of all, you got to see reality in order to change it. As, as the great James Baldwin once said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And so I, that's the spirit we try to bring to these dialogues to face reality and so that you can try to make it a little bit better. And a great way to do that is, again, to think about what it is that others expect of you, what you expect of them, to tell them that they matter to you and see if they're willing to engage in conversation. And almost everyone you choose will be flattered, they'll feel good, and you will have already accomplished a lot through that leadership of simply telling them that they matter to you. But then you say, all right, so these are the things that I think are important to you. And you enumerate them in specific. One, two, three, four. Here's what I think matters to you. What am I missing? What have I gotten wrong? Which demonstrates a few really important things. First, I thought about it. That's a gift I'm giving to you in our relationship. I have thought about what you need from me. And I'm bringing that to you because it matters to me that I serve those interests or at least try to. So that there's that. Perhaps even more importantly, it gives you something to respond to, and it gives me something to learn. So here's what I think is important to you. What have I gotten wrong? What am I missing? I can't know everything that's in your head, even though I know you extremely well, and maybe we even live together. <laughs> I still don't know everything that's inside your head today. So what, what matters uh, to you? What have I gotten wrong? And when you do that, you demonstrate a kind of vulnerability that is actually quite powerful because you, you demonstrate to the other in the best way that I know that you're willing to learn and that you're willing to be corrected and that you are interested in their point of view, which of course helps the other feel like you actually care about them, which you're, you're trying to convey to build that trust. And so you learn, well, uh, the typical response is, well, the first couple things that you mentioned, of course, if you hadn't mentioned those, I'd think that there was something wrong with you. But then, you know, the third and fourth things that you mentioned, not so much, especially that fourth thing. I don't really ever think about that. And I might then say, well, wow, that's, that's interesting. Tell me more. Why is that not important to you? Here's why I was thinking it was important. What, what did I miss there? And on the things that we agree on, I could further inquire, tell me more about why that matters to you. Here's why I think it matters to you. You tell me more. So that's the way we encourage people to approach these conversations as opposed to, so tell me, Joe, how am I doing? How are we doing? In which case, you know, you're likely to hear something like, we're doing great, Stu. I love you just the way you are. Please don't ever change, which of course is probably not true and doesn't really help me very much. It's too you know, vague and, and general. So that's how I encourage people. And that's what our team encourages people to do with these dialogues. And invariably, the response to engaging in those conversations is one of feeling greater support, greater love, and a clearer picture of reality, you know, which helps them to make smarter choices going forward. And you obviously have a lot going on, but you've been an emeritus professor at Penn since 2019. Yes. And I was wondering, how have your four circles evolved? How are they different today? And what have you learned in this phase? Yeah, 
Well, I continue to work with clients and to cultivate our small company, the Total Leadership Company, to bring this model to individuals and organizations around the world the, and bringing the book into different languages. It's it's coming out in, in French next month. It's recently published in Vietnamese. So many different languages. And so speaking about this model, bringing it to companies, working with former students. I'm still teaching executive MBA program at Wharton and do some other executive education work. So I, I'm ramping down. So, the, you know, the, the work circle is getting a little smaller. So uh, you're referring to the different circles. There's a free uh, site called myfourcircles.com. I just spell that out uh, where you can do this exercise that I write about. I think it's in chapter three, where you look at the four domains and you look at how how important each one is to you by sizing it according to its relative importance. Take 100 points and divide them up according to how important each domain is. And then what you do with the circles is you move them, you click and drag them to show their overlap in terms of the values and goals and interests that you pursue in each one to see where there is harmony among them in terms of the values that you're pursuing. Not so much about the attention you give it, but what matters to you in what you're doing in each domain. So I think for me, the work circle is, it's about as important as it's been, a little less so than it used to be, and even more aligned with who I see myself as in my family. Now a grandfather, I've got three grown children in their 30s and three beautiful grandchildren. And you know, how I think about what I do as an educator, as a researcher, as a consultant, as a CEO of a, of a small company, I see those more and more closely aligned with trying to build a world that's good for my, you know, the people who are coming after me and my family. And also in trying to get more and more people to see how what they do with their work can have a positive impact, not just in their own growth and self-aggrandizement, but also on the world. You know, the, that domain of community and society, which has become, I think, increasingly important for many young people. So I see a closer kind of compatibility among the different domains. And as I spend more time educating myself about the things that I want to learn more about, in particular literature, so I'm taking courses in, in literature. I just recently finished reading James Joyce's Ulysses and Cervantes's Don Quixote. I'm just about done with Dante's Divine Comedy. And in each of those cases, I'm also taking a course with some brilliant professor from Penn or Yale to help me. I bring those ideas into my work and into my conversations with some of my friends and family. I'm also studying piano which brings me back home to when I was seven or eight years old and starting to learn. And there's a whole musical journey that's a part of this. And I try to weave that into my work as well. So I'm seeing more connections among the different parts and feel extremely fortunate at this stage to be able to pursue all those different pieces and on good days feel a kind of harmony among them. I noticed the piano courses. I think you've taken multiple courses at Berkeley, which is no joke. 
And I'm wondering any advice you have from people listening who might be interested in this topic of continued learning in retirement. I think it is such an important aspect of of life at this stage. First of all, just think about the people that you look up to or who were senior to you when you were growing up. And I'm willing to bet significant amount of money that the people that you felt good about, that you admired, that you wanted to be around were people who were continuing to grow and to learn about things that they thought were important in the world. So it just makes you a more interesting person to be around. Like if you're thinking about grandchildren wanting to hang out with you, which I think a lot about because, you know, they're, they're young now, the two younger ones is an older one who's in his teens and it's harder with him. But, but the younger ones, I still have hopes that when they hit their teens, that there's going to be a connection there if I'm still around. And so, but it's not just for them. It's be, I feel a kind of uh, peace and gratitude in living when I'm able to uh, stretch my creative boundaries. And of course, you know, there's evidence, there's all kinds of you know, medical evidence that you keep yourself in shape physically and intellectually. You know, music, I'm also trying to get better at speaking in Spanish, but please don't ask me to speak in Spanish because I'll embarrass myself. But these kinds of learning pursuits, they keep your brain a little bit sharper than if you were just sitting around watching TV all day because you're, you're exercising your cognitive muscles and that keeps them a little bit more active. So if for no other reason than to extend your active mind, the life of your mind, you've got to practice that. and. I know of no better way than through some kind of educational experience with other people that is in pursuit of something that you think is really interesting, you know, to help you weigh and measure your own life and to understand reality a little bit better so that you can uh, contribute to making it a little bit better. My last question was going to be in Spanish about Ulysses, but I'll try to come up with a, another one and I'll turn it. <laughs> okay, so, please do. <laughs> so, I'll ask instead, wonder if you have any advice for people listening who want to redirect their skills and experience in service to others in their retirement life. The model of learn, earn, serve in terms of life stages, I think is it's been true for many people, although I think it's misguided and that we should be learning, earning, and serving in every phase of our lives, even if in different measure across the different phases. So certainly as you have, if you're lucky, more opportunity to serve others in, you know, who are in greater need than you, and that's most of humanity, you're going to feel better about yourself if you do that. People are going to want to be around you more if that's something that you care about. You know, there are people who reach old age and they just want to be alone. And certainly there are days when I just, I would rather be on a mountaintop and not interacting with any other human being. And I, I try, to, try to create some space for activities of that sort because you need to just be with yourself sometimes. But in terms of service, I mean, that is a great and noble activity. And again, it keeps you vital and you're going to feel better about leaving the earth 
<laughs> leaving the world of your real relationships. If you feel like you are using you know, the resources that you've got, your skills, your attention, maybe some of your treasure to be helping others, that's certainly what other people are looking for you to do. We've coached, I have personally coached so many people on articulating their leadership vision. And the thing that I think is the most important thing that I've learned about that activity as a coach, as a teacher to others, is that if your vision is all about yourself, you know, having big house or multiple houses, you know, cars, trips around the world, your kids are in the best schools, what people really care about, what they want to see in you is what you're doing to help other people. That's what inspires other people to want to trust you and to, to follow you, to be with you. So for all those reasons, it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, even just a small bit on something that you care a lot about. So one of the activities I'm engaged in right now is to ban uh, gas-powered leaf blowers in my township. And now that has all kinds of serious environmental impact, including and especially on the people who are carrying those leaf blowers all day, many of whom are you know, from other countries and are struggling economically and, and they're breathing that stuff in and it's, you know, it's killing them. But of course, the noise pollution is a, is a toxic source of pain in our community, not to mention the air pollution, which is horrendous. So anyway, please don't get me started on that. But I, that's not, I, I'm not going to save the world with that, but I'm working with other people who are committed to a kind of environmental justice, if you will, but also to make our uh, the place where we live a little bit more humane and habitable and peaceful. And, you know, that means a lot to me. It's just my particular quirks about noise, I just don't like having loud screaming machines in my backyard or next door. So I'm investing some of my attention in that. And I hope that's not the only thing I'm remembered for 50 years from now, but who knows? <laughs> One of our previous guests is another Philadelphia, well, Philadelphia resident, uh, Thelma Reese in her 90s. She's a former professor at, at Temple, and she wrote a book called Seniors Save the World about retirement activism. And I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for, for people there in so many different ways. Yeah. There's a number of groups that I'm also affiliated with on the climate scene, including Elders Climate Action and a couple of others, and they're easy to find. And that's certainly an important issue, I think, for people in our stage of life to be devoting attention to, because, you know, you talk about leaving a world that's better for you. I, I have to say, and I don't want to end on a depressing note here, Joe, but our generation has really not been the best steward of, of our planet. In fact, the opposite, and devoting whatever attention and energy we can to, to try and make the world one in which our grandchildren and their children can flourish, I think is super important. And we can do something about that. So I agree. And I'm sure that's an important part of your whole approach to your work at this stage, Joe, is to help seniors use some of their attention to, to keep trying to make the world better for those who come after us. So yeah, 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 definitely. That's a great way to end. And thank you so much, Stu, for taking the time. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I know your book is very impactful. 
it, the process is useful to people at many different stages in their lives and careers. Well, I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to talk about it. Totalleadership.org is the place to go for more information about all of this that we've talked about it and more free articles and videos and all kinds of stuff there. Joe, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me. And for everyone, there'll be links in the show notes to the book and also to the website. So you'll, you'll see the resources available to you there. Thank you, Stu. Thank you. Time for our takeaways. Some actionable ideas you can take from today's conversation with Stu Friedman. By the way, ironically, you may hear some leaf blowers in the background. My township is out and active today. Number one, what's most important to you now? Heading into retirement, it's a great time to step back and think about your core values. What are those things over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years that are most critical to you at this point looking forward? Number two, what's your vision for the future? While you'll need more than a vision for a great retirement, having a picture of where you're headed is very important. So envision what your ideal future looks like 5, 10, 15 years out. His exercise of picturing a day 15 years or another point in the future that works for you is highly recommended. What will your life ideally be like going forward? Who are you spending time with? What are you doing? And what's your why? Number three, who are your key stakeholders? This is another example of using a business term as we have in recent podcasts with Christina Wallace and and one a few years ago with David Allen to apply them to retirement life. So you still will have stakeholders in retirement. Who are the important people in your life and how can you have conversations with them? I think this is one of the most valuable parts of the total leadership model in the book. You'll be surprised often by what people really do expect and how it differs from your expectations. Highly recommend having those stakeholder conversations. Number four, how can you experiment and create some four-way wins? What are some things that you want to try out that may turn out to impact three or all four of the key domains in your new life going forward? Working with people on the Designing Your Life process by Dave Evans and Bill Burnett at Stanford, I can assure you that this experimenting mindset is very, very helpful. And if you pair it with this idea of things that can help you in all four domains of your life, it's a big winner. And just a final note on the four domains. You might be thinking, well, work isn't really part of the picture for me. I'm retiring. But step back and think about that for a moment. Work can be defined in many different ways. It can include non-paid work. It can include projects that you have not taken on but are very important to you. So doing something in the work realm may be smaller going forward, but it's most likely still a part of your life in retirement. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. You can find all of our episodes at our website, retirementwisdom.com. You can also find there a recommended group of books on retirement like this one with short summaries that can give you a valuable perspective and tools and tips for the non-financial side of planning for retirement. Thanks for listening.